Hello, folks. Welcome back. I'm so glad that you've chose to listen today. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'm the pastor of Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and this is the On Being Christian podcast. I'll be your host, and uh, the On Being Christian podcast is a ministry out of Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City. I hope you're having a wonderful day. This is one of those days in Salt Lake City. It is absolutely beautiful. Now, it's a little bit cold, um, but it has been raining for the past three or four days, and uh, it is absolutely um, cloudless today. And when you live in the valley um, next to the Wasatch Front, you can get periods of inversion and um, the clouds, or excuse me, the mountains uh, uh, appear to be a little bit hazy um, sometimes, but with three or four days of uh, kind of nature just filtering out the air, I'm sitting in my office. I'm looking out over the the Wasatch Mountain Range, the Wasatch Front, and it just looks so incredible. It looks so incredible. It's always so astounding to me. Down here in the valley, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of traffic and agendas and things that people are cycling through. And then you have those stoic, ever-present, very somber-looking mountains right there, um, just literally... 15, 20 minutes away, I get up in them as often as I can find an excuse to do so. Anyway, it's beautiful. I hope it is where you are and you're enjoying the the new year. It's always shocking to me when we start the new year, but even more shocking when we start to pump through um, the days and, and weeks and months. We're already into February, and that just sometimes uh, just I, I never seem to be quite ready for the speed of which life uh, kind of goes. They say it gets worse as you get older. Um, But I'd like to talk to you today about um, a gentleman who has no name in the Bible. Uh, We only hear of his title. But there's a lot that we can learn from this gentleman with respect to how he approaches Christ. There's a story found in the book of Matthew, and in the book of Luke, concerning a man known only as the centurion. And you'll have seen from the thumbnail by this point that that's the title of this podcast. We're going to talk about this centurion. Specifically, we're going to talk about his approach to Christ and why it was beneficial and why it was effective. Um, And then we'll see what we might be able to learn from this. If I pick it up in Matthew chapter 8... I'll read 5 through 13, uh, which will serve as our text, and then we'll kind of lay this out. Matthew chapter 8, picking it up in verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy and grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to them, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. 
And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self-same hour. His servant was healed in the self-same hour. So, again, this man isn't given a name, or we're not given the name of this man. Um, He's found also in Luke chapter 7, 1 through 10, the same um, uh, section of time we, we hear of this man, just simply known as the centurion. So just by way of introduction, let's define some things here. The word centurion here is very simple to define. This is from the um, Strong's Greek lexicon. It just very easily is defined as the captain of 100 men. And so we understand this term, this title to be a title of military distinction. He's a captain of 100 men. He's a centurion. Okay, and uh, when I look at verse uh, five, it says, "And Jesus entered into Capernaum, and there came unto him uh, a centurion beseeching him." That's where we see the title. Verse six says, "And saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented." So we need to understand some things about this as well before we get too far into this. Palsy here is a word that just means as if dissolved. Uh, that is a, a mus- muscular motion, weak and trembling. So he has some kind of um, depravity of power. Uh, something's holding power back from him. He's got palsy. He's dissolving. He's weakening. He's trembling. And uh, it's, it's a physical disability. So the centurion is saying, I have someone that I care about that has a, a very distinctive and very um, uh, grievous disability. He's weakening. He's dissolving. Um, he's 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 not doing well. The Bible says in verse six that um, he was the the man lying at home, sick with palsy, was grievously tormented. The word grievously just means miserably or calamitously. Um, it, the word means to be offended by misery and calamity. And then he says tormented, which is a word for um, pained or, or or to be in extreme pain, being constantly teased and harassed by pain. So we understand that this centurion's servant is in near continuous pain, extremely painful place to be, uh, physically speaking, he's he's miserably uh, afflicted and offended by this calamity that has overtaken him, and uh, it's causing his muscles, uh, whatever his his uh, ability to function, his strength to be dissolved. He's becoming very weak, and and he's trembling. And his master, this centurion, has approached Christ over the issue. Now, one point of distinction that I'd like you to recognize is that when we read this same story, it's found in Luke chapter 7, 1 through 10. In Luke chapter 7, 1 through 10, 
The recording there shows us that uh, the centurion was not actually there, but rather sent elders of the Jews and friends. And he did this specifically because his authority made him unworthy. Not worthy. Now, that's an interesting idea. His authority, he sent friends in his stead to seek the hand of the Lord God in the healing of this man because his authority made him not worthy. Most of the time, we would think of our authority making us worthy. We find in Luke 7, 1 through 10, that he viewed his authority as the thing that made him unworthy. This thought takes us right into our first point, if you would. So back over in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, a centurion beseeching him. So we see the first thing that the centurion was doing to Christ was beseeching him. And now it's interesting that of all the connections that the centurion was sure to have had as a captain of 100 men uh, in a very powerful army, the centurion, and this is the first point, knew who truly was worthy. The Bible uses the word beseeching. That's what the centurion was doing to Christ. He was beseeching him. The word beseeching means to call near, to invite, or to invoke, or to desire. The The Greek word is parakaleo, which is to call near. Uh, it's the same place that we get the word um, comforter. And, this, and so you see... The, the very real definition of what's taking place here is that this centurion is seeking comfort, not for himself, but for his servant from the only begotten Son of God. And he's not doing it himself because he believes that if he was to make this request because of the authority of his life, uh, it would be seen as a command, and he thinks that that is what makes him unworthy, not what makes him worthy. And so he sends... Uh, his other servants to seek Christ and to tell him this story. And, and in fact, we're, we'll get into it a little bit. If we, if we stay, in, in fact, let's jump over again. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 and verse 3, we learn a little bit more about this. The Bible says here, And when he had heard of Jesus... He sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. So both Matthew 8 and Luke 7 tell us that this man was beseeching or, or calling near or inviting out of desire. He was beseeching the Lord Jesus Christ to come. If I jump over to Revelation chapter 5, we're talking about the centurion and what he knew or who he knew uh, concerning who was truly worthy. Revelation chapter 5, I think what we're going to learn from this is um, some of the helpful points of approaching Christ. It starts with knowing who's worthy. Revelation chapter 5, 11 through 14, the Bible says, And it beheld, excuse me, I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the breast, excuse me, and the beast, and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. 
and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. This is interesting. Just again and again and again, the phrase, the words, worthy is the lamb that was slain. The lamb that was slain. So here we understand by the first point, talking about this centurion's approach to Jesus Christ, one of the things that he understood, and the Bible tells us this clearly, is that Christ was worthy to be the one in whom he beseeched, uh, the one in whom he sought beseeching help from. He didn't go to anyone else. He didn't go to the physicians. He, he, he went to Christ and explained the torment that his servant was going through, explained the near-continuous pain, the palsy that had taken over. And in fact, he was so uh, particular about the fact that he himself, as a centurion, as a captain of 100 men, that is the thing in his view that made him not worthy. And so he sent other servants, elders, he said, to see Jesus and say, could you, for the sake of this man, heal this servant? If I jump over to Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, the Bible says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. The first thing that we as people need to understand about our Heavenly Father is that He is worthy. He is worthy. Nothing else in our existence can help us concerning our own spiritual debt, our need for Christ. There is only one that is worthy. That's the Lamb of God. Psalm 18, verse 3, the Bible says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. And so the first thing that we understand about the centurion, one of the things that he understood very clearly was the fact that Jesus Christ was worthy. That's why he was there. He knew of all the places that he could have gone, of all the connections that he most certainly as a commander of 100 men uh, in the employment of the most powerful army on the earth at that time, he, there were certainly more uh, resources that would have been available to him. There would have been other resources, if at the very least medical providers, that would have been available to him. But he knew where to go. He knew what was worthy. And I, I'd like to make that application to you and I, before we can ever have Christ, whether it's a first-time relationship to accept Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, or whether it's to walk with him on a daily basis as someone who has accepted Christ by faith and repentance to God, it takes a knowledge on our part. Or if I've never accepted Christ, it first starts with faith on my part to understand, to know, to accept that it is Jesus Christ who is worthy. It's not me who's worthy. So many times when we're faced with challenges and situations in life that require more of us than we have to give, there's a certain sect or selection 
of um, negotiations and processes that we'll usually go through. We try to solve our own problems as much as we can, or we at least try to find others who can solve our problem and then go in debt to them. We try to do that more often than not, then opposed to this man, this man understood something very clearly. He understood out of all the resources that he had, out of all the sources of power that he may have had access to, Jesus Christ was worthy. He was the only one worthy. And he was in so much of a fact worthy that he chose not even to go himself because he didn't want Christ coming to be seen as Christ obeying the order of a man who had um, responsibility and privilege over 100 other men. It's an interesting thought. So that's number one concerning how the centurion approached Christ. Let's look at the second thing, which is back in our text in Matthew chapter 8. The centurion knew not only that he was not worthy, but why he was not worthy. And here's where we'll get into some of the descriptions of why the centurion chose not to go, but send elders to request of Christ the healing power. Matthew chapter 8, read 7 through 9, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. So number one, we understand the centurion understood that he, that Jesus Christ was worthy. And number two, and perhaps just as importantly, if not more importantly, the centurion understood that he was not worthy. He said, Lord, I am not worthy in verse 8. In verse 9, he says, for I am a man under authority. In other words, he, and later on in Luke, he says, I say to one man, come, and he cometh. I say to another man, go, and he goeth. He looked at his earthly accomplishments. He looked at his clout. He looked at his status as the very reason in which he was not worthy, not the reason which he's worthy. Sometimes we deal with things in this life. We try to fit the Lord inside a box that we define as valuable. Now, one of the things that I want you to understand about value and worth is their subjective terms based off of the system in which they are a part of or in which you are occupying. So, for example, if I were to give you a bag of cash, a bag of a of million dollars, okay, in cold, hard cash, and I were to give you, in your other hand, a five-gallon bucket of nails, there are societies on this planet that would be thrilled and overjoyed to have a five-gallon bucket of nails over a bag of a million dollars because their system, their society, has no use for manufactured greenbacks. They, however, do have use for and would greatly understand the value of steel, of nails, things that can fasten things together. And in that society... The person that had a five-gallon bucket of nails would become very, very wealthy. I want you to translate that thought over into the spiritual world. This man, according to the world, had achieved a position of influence and power and authority. But in his own view, these exact worldly achievements were the very things that he deemed made him not worthy to have Christ respond to his request. 
Sometimes we go to the Lord and we try to deal with the Lord. We try to um, give the Lord an explanation of why we ourselves are in fact worthy, and that's not the correct way to approach our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The correct way would be to mirror that of this centurion, where we look at our greatest accomplishments and our most uh, um, accepted accolades with respect to the way the world would define them, and we see those things as those exact properties which make us not worthy instead of make us worthy. So you understand that centurion knew who to go to because he knew who was worthy, And he knew what not to do inside his own self because he knew who was not worthy. And so if I were to break this down, would it be fair to say that the centurion knew who Jesus Christ was and he knew who he himself was not? Folks, that is the very basics of approaching Jesus Christ effectively. Knowing who he is and knowing who I myself am not. And the chasm between those two things has never been crossed by anyone save one man. His name is Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man. There's only one. The Bible says that the one, the mediator between God and man, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The centurion understood that very clearly. He understood that Jesus Christ was worthy, and the things that the world would have said made him worthy are the exact things that he defined as making him unworthy. And he sent messengers to Christ to say to him, Listen, I don't need you to come. I know that you can just but speak the word. And it'll happen. This faith that this, the, that the centurion was uh, demonstrating, Jesus went on a little later here in verse 10. He said, uh, Jesus heard it. He marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not heard so great faith, no, not in Israel. And so this was something that even Jesus Christ himself was quite surprised at. In uh, Luke chapter 7, 4 through 8, we find the same story. In chapter uh, 7, verse 4 of Luke, he was worthy. Chapter uh, 7, verse 5, he loveth our nation. Let's go ahead and go over there. I don't need to read these in context. Luke chapter 7, and we'll find the correlating section of Scripture in Luke 7 that relates to Matthew chapter 8. And I'll pick it up. In Luke 7 and verse 4, the Bible says, And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. So this man seen himself, this man saw himself as not worthy, but the people that he sent to Jesus very much believed that the man was worthy. They were trying to convince Jesus Christ to do it based off the worthiness of the man off the worthiness of the centurion. Verse 5 says, For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. And so we find that he sent the elders of the Jews. In fact, you see that in chapter 7, verse 3 of Luke. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews. And the Jews are trying to convince Jesus that even though the centurion says that he's not worthy, that he actually is worthy. There's an interesting idea here. I want you to understand something. 
the people who know, let me rephrase that. As far as the qualifications of Christianity are concerned, the people who seem to know what the qualifications are and accept what the qualifications are, sometimes are not even people who are willing to follow them. So in other words, if I say that I'm a Christian and then I go about to live a Christian life that's not very quote-unquote Christian, sometimes the people that will call you on it don't even claim to be Christian. They just know exactly what a Christian is supposed to be. And so here we have a man saying, Lord, I'm not worthy. And the, the Jewish elders that came to Jesus to ask Jesus to do this thing said, well, that's what he says, but we're telling you he loves this nation and he is worthy. Very interesting thought. Verse 5, for he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. And Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Verse 7 says, wherefore, neither, uh, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to the other, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. So he sent another messenger. After the Jewish elders brought Jesus to the man, he sent more friends to Jesus. And he said, Lord, I don't care what they're saying. I am not worthy, and here's why I'm not worthy I'm under authority. I'm a man of authority. What I say goes. And I don't want that to be what people think of this. I don't want to I don't want the perception to be that I told you that you had to do this. I'm asking you as a man who understands himself to be not worthy that you, Father, would grant this prayer request. That you, Lord, would do this. And Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus Christ marveled. He was astonished at this idea. The elders of the Jews came to Jesus saying that because of the man's accomplishments and because of his outward endeavors, he was worthy of Christ to come to him. But the centurion looked at these same endeavors as nothing more than privileges of his rank and status, and in his view, his rank and status made him unworthy. It didn't make him worthy. He did not want Christ to be seen as coming on the centurion's command. Very interesting. The word authority is used here. It means privilege or force. It's the capacity of will, the freedom and mastery and the influence of another. So he said, my freedom, my mastery, my influence Though the world may define it as worthy, I would define it as the very thing that makes me unworthy. And Jesus Christ marveled at that. He said, I've never seen faith like this. So you must understand, folks, coming to Jesus Christ is not about giving him your resume and selling yourself to him as if he would be somehow better off if you would be a Christian. Coming to Jesus Christ is a matter of pure brokenheartedness and a contrite spirit. Understanding the things the world, the value system of the world is not the value system of God. 
the things that we would define as those very attributes which would make us successful are the very same things the Lord says would make us unsuccessful. And so when I come to the Lord, I must know, number one, that He is worthy, and number two, that I am not worthy. And all the things the world tells me about myself, never buy into what people tell you about yourself, folks. In fact, you should be more skeptical about that than you are about anything else. To uncover a few more things on this topic, Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32, I'll read 9 through 12. Genesis 32, 9, see if I can get there, 9 through 12. The Bible says here, and Jacob said, O God, my father Abraham, excuse me, O God, of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, which saidest unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all these miracles, and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff, I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. And he goes on to say, deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, um, from the hand of Esau. And he describes some of the things that he's facing. Verse 12 says, and thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the seed of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So here we have Jacob's prayer, and in Jacob's prayer, one of the things that he says is, Lord, God, God of my fathers, I am not worthy. This is one of the ways you need to understand when you're talking to the Lord, when you're dealing with God, you go to the throne of grace. The Bible says we can boldly go to the throne of grace, but that's specifically because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's because of the fact that he is worthy not because of the fact that I am, because I am not worthy, and I must approach Christ always with the very clear, articulate understanding that I am not worthy. If I go to Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, and I'll read verse 11 here, talking about understanding who is and who is not worthy. Matthew three eleven. The Bible says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And I don't want to go too far into all of the uh, peripheral around baptism and and salvation, but I do want to draw you in on this very simple fact. John the Baptist knew that he was not worthy. Jacob knew that he was not worthy. Very simple verses that prove very simple points. Matthew chapter 3, we just read that. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and I'll read 1 through 10. Look what the Bible says here. This is the parable of the wedding banquet. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parable and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. 
and sent forth his servants to call them that they were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entered them spitefully, um, excuse me, and, and treated them spitefully and slew them. And when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up the, their city. Then saith he to the servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So their servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they could find, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. So this is a parable the Lord's using to prove a point. The thing I want you to notice is that when those who were invited entreated the Lord spitefully, he went and he invited the unworthy. Now, we're all unworthy. But because of that verse, my mind goes to the fact that because of Jesus Christ and because of the fact that God loved me, I've been invited to something that I'm not worthy to be at. And I need to always remember when I come to Christ, when I come to God, that it is exclusively by his mercy and by the payment for my soul and the blood of Jesus Christ, that I'm worthy to come boldly into the throne of grace. Without those things, I am and forever would have been damned, doomed, lost. Because I'm not worthy. And he very much, very much is. Verse 37 of Matthew 10 says, is not worthy of me. Let's go over there. I want to show you that real quick. The Lord talks about what is and is not worthy of him. Luke chapter 10, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. And I'll read down through verse 39. The Bible says here, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I come not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. So we see he is not worthy. Three different times the Bible lays out that when I pursue my own agenda, when I pursue my own desires, when I pursue those things which make sense in my own mind over the doctrine of the word of God, when I am not worthy. He is worthy, number one. I am not worthy. Number two, these are the, th the two things that I must accept before I can ever deal truthfully 
with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And third and finally, we have the centurion knew it was faith that impressed or enabled Christ. It was faith that impressed or enabled Christ. If we go back to our text in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, I'll read verse 8, and then I'll jump down and read verse 10 and then 13. The Bible says in verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. He said, speak the word only. If this is not evidence of faith that impressed Christ or enabled Christ, I don't know what is. If I go down to verse 10, the Bible says here, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great no Uh, So great faith, no, not in Israel. He says, of all the things that I have found, of all the things I've come across, I've never seen faith like this. And then if we jump down uh, to verse 13, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self-same hour. So the very same hour that Jesus Christ came and ministered to the servant of this centurion, the centurion's servant was made whole. Now I want you to understand being made whole of the palsy would take some physical transformations that I don't necessarily think that we always think about. But if he's had palsy for any amount of time at all, there's whole sections of his body that had not been used that are washed away and decaying away. And Jesus Christ made them new again. He made them whole again. So we understand that Centurion knew it was faith that impressed or enabled Jesus Christ. He knew it. So number one, you knew that Christ was worthy and that he was not. That's number two, that he was not worthy. And number three, Christ uh, knew, or excuse me, the Centurion knew that it was faith that enabled Christ, that impressed Christ. It wasn't him. If we jump over into our our matching text, Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, and I'll read 7 and then jump down and read verse 9. The Bible says here, and his disciples asked him, saying, what might this parable be? That's verse, that's verse 9. Let me back up. Verse 7 says, And some fell upon thorns. I need to make sure I'm in the right place. No, I'm one chapter over. I apologize. That's, that's the story of drought. Let's see here. Luke 7, one over. Luke 7, verse 7, the Bible says, Where there, uh, excuse me, Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be Healed And verse 9 says, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So you see here the man saying, listen, I don't even need you to come and see him. I know that even without you seeing him, you can say the words and he'll be whole. I know that, and I don't want you to come with me because my authority would make me unworthy of you to come with me, but you are worthy. He believed him, he trusted him, and he said, without even your your presence, just in your absence, can you heal him? And Jesus Christ marveled. The word marveled means to wonder, to admire, 
to have admiration toward. Can you stop and think about that for a second? Can you imagine having a faith as a part of your Christian walk that Jesus Christ marveled at? This man, whose name we do not know, we just know that he has a title, and that title is Centurion, has a faith, not even a Jew. He's a Roman, and he has a faith that Christ himself said he marveled at. There's few things in the Bible where I read someone being talked about by the Lord at this level. One of them is when the Bible tells us that Moses spoke face to face with God as a man would speak to a friend, or when Paul and excuse me, when Peter, James and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Christ and they got to see what happened there. Or when Christ came back from the dead and was in the midst of the disciples, just appeared there, or when Christ was walking on the water. These are things that still my mind as I try to imagine the grandeur of them. But one of the most humbling things is for Jesus Christ to look at others. And with me in mind, with respect to my actions, he would say that he marveled. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Can you imagine having a faith which the King of kings and the Lord of lords admires? The question is, how do you befriend the king? The answer is faith. It can only be by faith. That is all. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. There's nothing that we can do that, that, that impresses our Heavenly Father save for the fact of our faith. We can impress him. We can be admired by him. Boy, that's such a, a strange thought. For the Savior of the world to look at the actions and, and, and commitments of my heart and life and say, well done. that I can live with that. That's good. I, folks, that's such a humbling aspect. But yet that's one of the most helpful aspects of how the centurion approached Christ. He first knew that he wasn't worthy. Or excuse me. He first knew that Christ was worthy. He second knew that he was not worthy. And third, his Leaning on the worthiness of Christ made Christ himself say of the centurion, I've never seen a faith like this. I've never seen a faith like this. If I go to Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 9, the Bible says here, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You understand here the centurion showed massive amounts of faith, faith, and it was by the grace of God in which he could show it, and it was incredibly beneficial, not just to him, but to the life of the one he prayed for. If I go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5, 
The Bible says here that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Did you catch that? That your faith should stand in the power of God. Too many times we are totally convinced that our faith is weird. It's too weird for us to publicly stand on it. It would uh, blackball us or cause us to face ridicule. And the Bible itself says, think it not strange. The world hated me and is going to hate you too. Interesting thought. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, the Bible says here, to deliver some and one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Interesting. Interesting verse. Under the same lines, go to 2 Corinthians 5, 7. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, the Bible says here, for we walk not, excuse me, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Very simple. We walk by faith, not by sight. The centurion knew that. The centurion knew that he wasn't worthy. He knew that Jesus Christ was worthy, and he knew that all he had to do was have faith in his actions. It didn't even take Christ to presently be in the same space. It just took Christ's words. He spoke faith. And the Bible says it worked. The Bible says it worked. Both to accept Christ as well as to live for Christ, faith is required. Thus, alive by faith is that which allows you to live by faith. Faith that Christ admires has nothing to do with your accomplishments. You're not going to do anything in this life that Jesus Christ didn't see coming. You're not going to do anything in this life that Jesus Christ couldn't have done himself. It's not what we do that pleases the Lord apart from obeying God's word. It's the relationship between us and him. It's faith. It's faith to live by the word of God, to live by the doctrine of the word of God with abandonment to all other things. That's what it takes. That's the approach that the centurion approached Jesus Christ with. He approached him with an open heart, with a broken heart, with a contrite spirit, which the Bible says are sacrifices of men that God will not despise. And he knew three things very clearly. Number one, he knew that God was worthy. Number two, he knew that he was not worthy himself, the centurion. And number three, he knew that it was faith that impressed and enabled God. That's what he knew. And he found it. He found it. What a story. And so how do you approach God? Do you approach God like the centurion who understands that you're accompli- it has nothing to do with your accomplishments or your achievements? It has everything to do with the very, very simple fact that God loves you as a sinner and he gave his only begotten son to die for you. Or are you still trying to convince God that you're an impressive specimen indeed and that without you, the movement of Christianity would literally fall on its face. These are some of the things, folks, that you need to think about. How do you approach God? Do you approach God like the centurion, understanding God's worthy and that you're not willing to obey? Or do you approach him like the world, 
based off a subjective system of value where we look at the things that God says are the most valuable and most worthy things in the world, and we dismiss them for temporary value. In, in other words, can I ask it like this? Is your faith the product of a bag full of money or a bucket full of nails? What value system are you looking at? Is it the value system of the world, which would send you to the throne of God with a sense of entitlement? Or is it the value system of the centurion, which would send you to the throne of God with a broken and contrite heart? That's it for today. That's my thought on the matter. I love this story. We have a story here of a man that is simply recorded in the Bible for my admonition. I don't know his name. I have no idea what his name is. But I believe that with faith like this, I'll see him in heaven one day. And I don't know how to look for him or if that's even allowed or if I just go around the golden streets of heaven asking if anyone's seen the earthly centurion. <laughs> but I do look forward to the day when I get to meet him and shake his hand and say, sir, you don't know me, but I read about you and I read about your faith in our Savior and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for having faith that guided my own life thousands of years after your own. I'll do that one day. It'll be long after I see the Lord face to face and give him a hug. I'm all done. Thank you for listening. I hope this has been helpful. I hope it's been applicable. You can get a hold of me at wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H frontbaptistchurch.com, or just call the number on the uh, website, right to the office, and I'd love to talk to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us and for giving us an example in your word of what type of approach to you is the most beneficial. We'll see you all again later, folks. Have a great day.